Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. We talked about John 11 a few weeks ago at the beginning of January. And I'll remind you what it's about because we're skipping ahead, obviously, to John 12. John 11 is the chapter where um, Lazarus, uh, Jesus' family, Jesus' childhood friend, is sick and dying. And word gets to Jesus' disciples in John 11 that Lazarus is sick. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, uh, are asking Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. Well, Jesus doesn't right away. The scriptures say in John 11 that he actually stayed where he was for a few more days and then made the journey and even tells his disciples before they get there, I'm glad that we didn't go when they called us. I'm glad that we didn't go because I'm going to get glory through this. And he plainly says, he plainly tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad that I wasn't there to save him. And his disciples are, what is he talking about? They're thinking that he, you know, what do you mean? And, and all these different things. And, and Jesus waited Lazarus does die, is wrapped in grave clothes, put in a tomb. Jesus gets finally to where Lazarus' body is and, and to where he, they, they asked him to go four days. He'd been dead for four days, it says in John 11. And Mary and Martha, these sisters, Martha says, if you had just been here, he wouldn't be dead. And everybody was mourning. They were in this week-long uh, funeral process that they would do back in the, in the Bible times. And, and, and they're mourning, and people are weeping. And Jesus looks around and sees everybody weeping and mourning. And, and, and it says, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says, Jesus wept and weeped with them. The end of the story, we talked about it on New Year's Day when we had service. It was about New Year, New Life, and just kind of starting off the year fresh. And that was the message. And we saw that in the scriptures that Jesus raised Lazarus. From the dead, Lazarus comes jumping out in his grave clothes. He's healed. And we read all through, I think it was 30, 40 verses, we talked about that story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. An incredible miracle, a beautiful miracle. And then we get to the end of John. We didn't read the last few verses of John 11, so I want to just kind of share with you what it is, and we'll jump right into John 12. The end of John 11, this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. The religious leaders, we've talked about the Pharisees so much, these religious elite with all these man-made and made-up extra rules for the law uh, to, to please God. And it was just this impossible system that the children of Israel, that the people here uh, in Jerusalem, uh, it was, they could never attain. They could never measure up. And at the end of John 11, we see the last few verses. Uh, these religious leaders begin to uh, plot to arrest and kill Jesus at the end uh, of chapter 11. After Lazarus was raised, it says, and I, the scriptures won't be on the screen, but I'm reading the end of John 11. It says, many of the Jews, in verse 45, came, uh, I'm sorry, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we do? This man's doing, this man doeth many miracles. Like, what are we supposed to do? This guy is like, he's pulling followers away from us is what they were worried about. What are we going to do? Verse 49, verse 48, if we let him alone... All men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. These religious leaders, these Pharisees are stressing. He's going to take all of our followers away. And then the Roman government's going to come and take our land. In verse 49, one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, you know nothing at all. He's like, you guys know what you're talking about. Verse 50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish. Not this speaking, not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied without even realizing that Jesus should die for that nation. 
And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. So these religious leaders at the end of chapter 11 are saying, we, we got to take care of this guy. You know, what are going to do the Romans? They're going to all follow him. And Caiaphas, the high priest, the guy in charge of this council says, well, listen, people, listen, guys, you don't know what you're talking about. First of all, it's better that one guy dies than we lose our whole nation. Without even reckoning, he's, he's prophesying the death of Jesus. Jesus had already said, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to go away. My time is coming. And from that moment, they began to plot to kill Jesus, trying to figure out a way to catch Jesus in something and twist something so they could arrest him and put him to death. And then we get to chapter 12. We get to chapter 12. Our focus is going to be on verses 25 to 26. Um, before we get there, we're just going to break down on the chapter quickly. I'm going to literally breathe through and kind of share with you, and you can read it at your own time. Uh, it's 50 verses, so I'm not going to preach 50 verses today. I'm going to preach two or three, but I at least want to give you the context of the chapter because we are going through the gospel of John. The first eight verses of John 12 is a familiar story if you, if you have been in church for any length of time. And if not, it's Jesus, uh, uh, the week of Passover, this is the week before Jesus is going to die on the cross. The last almost half of the Gospel of John is all within one week of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. It's, it's incredible that John uses half of the book really to talk about Jesus' crucifixion, being dying on the cross and raising again and being buried in a tomb. The first eight verses, though, is Passover. He's at dinner at Lazarus' house. Uh, probably because they were celebrating the miracle of, of life, Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they're celebrating, and they're having dinner at the house. And, and while they're there, uh, Mary, Lazarus' sister, uh, finds this very expensive uh, box of ointment. And I, could, I wish I could preach a whole message on this, but I'm, I, I felt the Lord leading another place. Takes this very expensive box of perfume ointment and, and breaks it open and, and, and washes Jesus' feet, a, a humble act of service. And then dries it with her hair. And it's just this beautiful picture of just something very costly, but it was more important that she gave it to Jesus. I could preach a whole message on that. We see Judas Iscariot, the one who's going to betray Jesus, uh, uh, the one who holds on to the money for their work of ministry for Jesus Christ, is saying, we could have used that, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. And, and that box of ointment was literally like 300 days worth of wages, almost a year's salary, and she broke it open and washed the feet of Jesus and dried it with her hair. It's, it's, it's incredible. And Judas said, we could have used that for the poor, when in reality, he would have just taken the money. The Bible says uh, in verse number six, this he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the bag, he had the money, and he, he, he took what he wanted from it. Judas was, man, he was on his way to betraying Jesus. Verses nine through 11, Jesus says to him, Did you leave her alone. You know, she's she, she done what she could. Verses 9 through 11, we see that now it jumps to the Pharisees again. They heard about Lazarus right there. Now they're saying that they're plotting to kill Lazarus. Verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake, but also that they might see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. And the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in this event. Lazarus is living proof that Jesus is who he says he was. we got, we got to kill Lazarus too. So they begin to plot to kill Lazarus as well. Verses 12 through 19. This is a message I normally preach on Paul Sunday. This is the triumphal entry. Prophecy fulfilled. 
Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they're waving the palm branches and saying Hosanna to the king, and Jesus is coming in. They call it the triumphal entry. Here comes the king that was saved for, for, for war heroes. And again, they thought that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to rescue them from Roman rule. And that's not why Jesus came. These same people waving the palm branches and singing Hosanna a few days later are going to be shouting, crucify him, kill him, give us Barabbas, the murderer, free. And we want Jesus to be put on the cross. These same people. And we're not going to dwell on the triumphal entry because I've preached about it several times in the past. We're moving on. Verse 20 through 26 is Jesus' challenge to the people. Again, remember we talked about Jesus, uh, the, the Jewish people at this time think that Jesus, the Messiah, is only there for them, for their nationality. And Jesus is trying to tell them, no, I'm here for the whole world. I'm here for everybody. So it says in verse 20 that these Greeks come, a different nationality. The Jews and Greeks didn't get along. Jews, unfortunately, thought that they were only, the only ones God shows and the only ones worthy of salvation. Now these Greeks come and they've heard about Jesus and his miracles and they want to talk to him and they want to meet him. And in verse 20 through 26, uh, uh, Jesus begins uh, giving them this challenge. And that's what our focus is on this morning. That's what our focus is on this morning. We're going to come back to it, though, and focus on that. Verse 27 through 35, Jesus foretells his death. He says, I'm, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die. Uh, uh, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, is what he says. And he doesn't mean lifted up like exalted or, or praised or glorified, but lifted up literally on a cross to die for the sins of of the world. And he says, believe in the light while you have it. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. And then it says in verse 36 that he departed and hid and hid himself from there. And verse 36 through 43, many people didn't believe. They didn't believe. It says even though he said all these things, even there was miracles, it says they did not believe him. It did say though, verse number 42, that nevertheless, some of the chief priests, some of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they, they did believe on him. They had seen what he had done. And they, they did believe that he was the one. But because they were scared and fearful of the punishment for them, they kept it to themselves. In verse 42, it says, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They didn't, they didn't say, I do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, one of the saddest verses in scriptures, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And they kept their faith hidden. Verse 44 through 50, the end of the chapter. Jesus again is sharing his mission with these people. He's saying, I'm come to save the world. I'm come as a light that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If any, if any, verse 47, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And he shares his mission with his people. But our scriptures today that we're going to focus on in verse is John 12, verse 25 through 26, as Jesus is, is sharing this challenge with them. And he says this in verse 25. He says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Let's pray. Ask God to bless. We'll jump right in the message will be done shortly. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being so good and gracious to us. I ask you, Lord, to help me as I preach this message. Lord, speak to hearts. Give me power. Work in me, Lord, in spite of me. In Jesus' name, 
We pray and ask for all these things. Amen. We are in a constant, sometimes subconscious goal and search for life. We are in a constant search for life. A constant search for purpose. Whether we realize it or not, a search for meaning, a search for satisfaction, a craving for those things. We look for it everywhere. Many of us look for it in a job. We can just get the right job or get that promotion. Maybe in a relationship, we're seeking, we don't want to be lonely. We say, if I can just get married, if I can just have kids, if I can just have a best friend, if I can just whatever, fix this, fix that, then, then I'll be satisfied. Then my life will have purpose. We, we some, some search for it in money. If I can just have a full bank account or this or that, and I've been guilty of that sometimes, feeling like I'm not enough or that I'm a failure because I don't have a certain amount of money. Sometimes we search for it in substances or addictions. Purpose, meaning, satisfaction, something to fill that void in our lives. Some, some even search for meaning and purpose in good deeds. If I can just do enough good, I'll feel better about myself, and I'll be satisfied. And with all those things and many more things we reach for, we always seem to come up empty. I know I do. Because those things I just mentioned, job, relationship, those things are great and good, but those things will fail us. Those things can never satisfy. Look what Jesus said in verse 25 and 26 again. I'll read the scriptures. He says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hated his life in this world shall keep it unto life. So let's break this down a little bit. See what Jesus is saying here. When he says he that loveth his life shall lose it, he's not talking about being grateful for your life. That we shouldn't love life. That we shouldn't love our families and the blessings that God gives us. He's not saying don't love your life and just be constantly down my life stinks. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's talking about not loving life in a way of of self-centeredness, the, the God, the idol of self-centeredness. When my life is all about me, when my life is all about what I want, when your life is all about your desires, your dreams, your wishes, and your goals, and nothing else. I love me so much that nothing else matters. That's what he's saying. That kind of, of unhealthy love for ourselves, a self-centeredness. And he goes on and says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. And that's what we say, you always come up empty, won't you? As, as, as self-centered, as much as we try to fulfill self, we always still end up miserable. We may have moments of fleeting happiness where we feel good because we, we did what we wanted to do, but that begins to fade. We always fall short. Then he says in the end of verse 25, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life Eternal. Again, not talking about hating your life like I hate my life, I don't want to be here. But he's talking about, he's not talking about wanting to die or being careless with your life and destructive. But he's talking about being so committed to a life away from self-centered, to a, to a life committed to, to him, to Jesus, and his calling on our lives that comparatively you you love Jesus and you love God so much and you want his purposes so much and you want his dreams and his goals for your life so much more than yours that comparatively it's almost like you hate the self-centeredness and you hate all that stuff because it's, it's all about him and what he wants 
for your life. It's about laying aside selfish desires so that we can serve God, love God uh, freely. Amen. That's what it's talking about. How much we love our lives, how much I love my life will show in my daily habits. How much I love my life in a self-centered way and how we treat other people. If I'm a jerk to my wife, then I love myself too much. If I'm impatient with my children, I love myself. I love me. I love Donald way too much. If I'm undisciplined in my personal relationship with Jesus, I love myself too much. If I'm lazy at my job, if, I'm, if, if I don't care about the, the, the needs of others, I love me too much. We must commit our lives to Jesus. And can I say this? Commitment to Jesus is not just about being at church. I believe that's part of it. But it goes way beyond Sunday morning for an hour. Because I'll tell you this. If you commit your life to Jesus in a daily way, in a moment-by-moment -moment way, Sunday service will be a whole lot more meaningful for you. We kind of want just like a shot in the arm on Sundays morning sometimes, don't we? Like, hey, I've had a rough week. It's been brutal. I come to go to church. I feel a bit better about myself. No, no, that's not what it's supposed to be about. Sundays is time of worship. We call it the worship service. We're here to worship God. Sometimes we do come in tired, weary, and empty, and God fills us. But, man, we should be coming in ready to worship, ready to learn, ready to, to heed the words of Scripture. And if you're living your life committed to Jesus on a daily basis, resting in Him and His grace, then when, when Saturday night goes on, you're not wondering, I wonder if I'm going to go to church tomorrow. No, it's going to be, I'm, I can't wait for church tomorrow. I can't wait to worship my King with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I'm excited about that. So what are we waiting for? Listen, it is, it is Jesus who gives peace and joy and life. It's Him. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for in this life? The truth is, I can say all that, but the fact of the matter is sometimes life is still hard. Sometimes we still screw up. And sometimes heartache enters our door unexpectedly. Because it's easy to serve God and give our life to Him when things are easy, right? It is. So what can we do? And I'm done with, with this church. It's, it's a quick one today. Because I've been so long the last few weeks. Verse 26, we see it. Jesus says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And look at this. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. What can we do in committing our lives to Jesus? Number one, you got to remember that God is with you. I'm going to read these verses as well, verse 27 and 28. Jesus continues, says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I into the, unto this hour. He's talking about the cross. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be sold for 30 pieces of silver to the Roman guard, to be tortured and whipped, beat, killed. He knows it's coming. What he says in verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. 
Number one, remember God is with you. Jesus said to the people listening, he said, if, if, you, if you serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. God is with you, church. I know we say all the time, like, oh, God is with me. But we live so often like he's not, like, like we don't believe that. I know I do. I get anxious, I get stressed, I get worried. I wonder why God would want to use me. And, and, and Jesus said, if you follow me, whoever, if, you're my, if you serve me, I'm going to be, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Some of you need to hear this morning that God is with you. He is by your side. He is by your side when you feel alone and forgotten. He's with you. When you're working your tail off, just trying to make ends meet, he's with you. When you don't know what the next step of life is and you're worried and stressed, he's with you. Remember God is with you. Carry that truth with you this week. In verse number uh, 27, Jesus says, I just read it. He said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But then he said, but for this cause... Came I unto this hour? He says, ah, save me from this. This is hard. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be horrible. But then he says, but you know, God, this is why I'm here. This is why you brought, this is why I'm here on earth. This is why you sent me. That's why God came to earth to die for the sins of the world. And what Jesus is doing in that prayer to the Father is he is recognizing his purpose in church. You yourself have got to recognize your purpose. You ever seen a cat chase a laser? They're like chasing around this laser and like trying to catch it, trying to catch it. And you're like, it's kind of fun to mess with them. But when they finally get it, guess what's there? Nothing. There's nothing there. And so often, we're just like that. We, we are constantly jumping around and searching and stressing out, trying to, to accomplish this and accomplish that and make this happen and make that happen. And we're wearing ourselves out and we're not recognizing the purpose that we have in Jesus Christ. God is calling you to bigger things. You're not called just to wake up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, and go to bed. You're called for something so much more than that. As a spouse, as a parent, you have a greater calling as a Christian, as a child of God. You have a mission. You have a duty from, the, from God himself. Recognize your purpose. He's calling you to greater things. In verse number 28, we see what else is Jesus saying? He says, and this is, it's, it's the first four words of the verse. After he says, this is why I'm here. He says, this is why I'm on earth. And then he goes back and says, Father, Father, glorify thy name. Father, glorify thy name. And this is the last one. We have to release control. He says, you know, this is going to be awful. This is, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be with He knows what's coming. He's God in the flesh. And he says, through all this, through this next few days of the worst pain and torture imaginable, to God be the glory. Father, glorify thy name in me. In everything you face, 
child of God this morning. He gets the glory. He deserves the glory. What we face in our lives, the pain and heartache that we face, we have to surrender control. We have to release control and say, you know what? God, you get the glory through this. Because I'm, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to figure things out and fix things and be this and be that and trying to be this for everybody and I'm, I feel like I'm never enough. I'm releasing control. I'm letting go of the steering wheel. God, you, you have control in my life. My life, Lord, is yours to control. I, I, I'm, I'm giving up in a good way. I'm letting go. Your name be glorified in me. And if you bring me through the fire, your name be glorified. And, and through the flood and through pain and through heartache and through blessings and mountains and valleys, your name be glorified, God, in me. May we have that heart as children of God. Father, glorify thy name in me. Whatever it takes, refine me. Make me be the potter and I'm the clay. Mold me to what you want me to be, Lord, and you get the glory in my life. Jesus is trying to change some of your lives this morning. Jesus has been at work in your life, and he is continually reaching into your life. And what we do every time we slap his hand away, don't touch. No, I got it covered. Leave me alone. We may come and sing the songs, read the scriptures. But he is continually trying to reach into your life to do something, to lead you a different direction, to, to change something about you, to make some adjustments in you. And every time we slap that hand away, say, leave me alone. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for a home in heaven. But I got the rest covered. God help us. God help me. He's trying to change your life. Will you let him? You want to be committed to Jesus? Remember he's with you. Recognize your purpose and release control. Remind yourselves daily of these things. Remind yourselves of these things in your life. Be about reaching people. Be about loving others. Live for something greater. Be committed. Be here in this place. Be a part of what God is doing here. Let Him change your life. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.